You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. There was a farmer in Scotland whose last name was Fleming. And he was out one day working and uh, he started hearing screams. So he dropped everything he was doing and went running into the woods and he saw this kid had fallen into a bog, which is like a big pond of thick mud. And this kid was sinking pretty quick. And uh, so he thought really fast, grabbed a big tree limb and pulled this kid to safety, saved his life, saved him from what would have inevitably been a really, really agonizing death of drowning in mud. Well, a couple days later, Farmer Fleming is out working on his farm again, and he sees this really, really nice carriage coming down the road. And it stops, and this very well-dressed Scotsman gets out of it and introduces himself and says, are you the, are you the man that saved my son's life? And he said, well, I, I guess I must be. And he said, well, I've come to repay you, to reward you, and thank you for what you did. And Farmer Fleming said, I can't take your money. Uh, I, you know, I just did what anybody else would have done. Well, at that same time, Farmer Fleming's son had walked into the doorway of the house and the Scotsman said, is that your son up there? And he turned around and looked and said, yes, it is. He said, well, let me make you a deal. Let your son come with me and I will get him a great education because if he turns into anything of a man like you are, I know you'll be proud of him. Well, Farmer Fleming knew he was never going to be able to educate his son the way that this man could, and so he agreed, and he sent his son with him. And his son went on to do very, very well in school, and he wound up in St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London, England. And from there, he went on to be fairly well-known throughout the United Kingdom and Europe and the world. Farmer Fleming's son's name was Alexander. And if you don't know who Alexander Fleming is, he's the doctor that discovered penicillin. So a couple years after Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin, that man who, when he was a boy, almost drowned in that bog, you remember him, well, he got very, very ill with pneumonia. And you can probably guess what it was that saved his life, penicillin. Now, I didn't tell you what the Scotsman's name was. His name was Lord Randolph Churchill and his son's name was Winston. There are so many things about that story and those events that just can make your hair stand up. But I read that story, I hear that story and one of the things that it brings to my mind is the principle that you reap what you sow. Not only in your own life, but into the lives of others. And you never know how you might reap that. The Apostle Paul words it this way in the letter to the Galatians. He says, whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. And what Paul is saying is, is that the seed that you plant, that you cultivate, that you, you, you grow, you water, that's what's going to come. Okay? But so why does Paul include this? In his letter to the Galatians, what relevance does it have to to what he's just said? How does it impact you and I as believers? That's what we want to find out this morning. So if you'll open your Bible with me to Galatians chapter 6. Last week, Chip looked at the first part of this chapter. 
and talked about the priority that we have as the people of God, as the church of gospel relationships, that we as the people of God, as followers of Christ are to step into each other's lives and pick each other up when we stumble, that we're to confront each other in our sin, that we're to carry and bear one another's burdens. Well, this morning, what happens is Paul talks about how we have an individual responsibility in that how you and I are walking in our own personal lives with Christ, that's going to determine our effectiveness in those gospel relationships. So look with me beginning in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Paul says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, let's stop there for a second. If you read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, you can get to that verse and feel like Paul just like turned the car real quick. Like, where's he going with this? Well, he's just shared some things that are fundamentally important for us as believers. And he stops here to say that part of bearing one another's burdens is, is that for all of those of you who are taught the word of God, you should support the one or the ones who rightly teach you or proclaim the word of God. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, I wonder if that's weird for Brian to say that to us. No, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. So let's move on. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. Paul is trying to say to us, don't ever deceive yourself into thinking that God can be deceived. And you know, that's been happening from the very beginning, right? Because Adam and Eve, they did what God told them to do. And then what did they do? They ran and hid. Like, oh, God's going, where are you? You know, they tried to pull the wool over on God. Don't think you can deceive God, that God can be duped. Don't ever think that God is short-sighted or that he's double-minded or wishy-washy, that he'll just all of a sudden go, you know what? I've changed my mind. I think I'll do it this way now, Okay. Don't think that there's anything that slips past him, sneaks up on him, catches him off guard. There are laws that God has set in place in life and in nature that apply all the way across the board. And this is no exemption this morning. You reap what you sow. Whatever one sows, that he also reaps. Example, a farmer plants corn waters it, does everything he needs to do. What's he going to get? He's going to get corn. I lived in Wichita, Kansas for 10 years. Now, I think that people have a lot of misperceptions and ideas about Kansas. Wichita is a really big place, 450, 500,000 people. There's not any corn in Wichita. Now, if you drive outside of Wichita, however, there's corn. In fact, no offense to the people that live in any of these places, but pretty much you get outside of Wichita 20 minutes in any direction, you go, okay, let's turn around and go back. But there's corn everywhere, all right? In fact, the town just northwest of Wichita is named Maize. That's how much corn there is. But there's also wheat, right? Because that's what Kansas is known for, is wheat. In my 10 plus years I lived there, I never met or heard of a farmer that said, it's the darndest thing. I planted corn, I watered it, I got wheat. 
It doesn't happen. Thank you, Sean. It, it doesn't happen that way. Why doesn't it happen that way? Because you reap what you sow. This principle is not only biblical truth, it's multifaceted. There are multiple things about it that we need to understand. And I want to try and point some of those out to you this morning. First of all, sowing is a choice. And let me rephrase that. What I don't mean is that you and I get to decide whether or not we're going to sow. We're all sowing, okay? We're all digging, if you will. What we're going to sow is a choice. You meet a guy who farms corn and you say, well, how did you decide to farm corn? Well, my daddy grew corn and his daddy grew corn and his daddy grew corn. And you know, I just had to grow corn. Actually, no, you didn't have to, you chose to. You choose what it is that you're going to sow. Another thing about this principle that we see is most of the time you reap much more than you sow. You reap much more than you sow. Let's say that today you went down to Lowe's and I was in there yesterday and I saw these little things. They still have them. You you can go buy the packs of seeds and you decided I'm going to do things the old fashioned way. I'm going to start from the seed. And you made a little planter in your backyard. I know lots of you have them. And you went and you got some tomatoes. Well, let's say hypothetically there were 20 tomato seeds in your little packet. And you plant those 20 seeds. And again, you bury them, you water them, all that. Are you going to get 20 tomatoes? Hopefully not. Hopefully what you're going to get are a bunch of bushes and plants and vines that grow bunches and bunches of tomatoes. Same principle applies in flowers. Like if you've ever grown roses, you know, one dadgum bulb you plant and you get a million roses and you can cut them off and they keep growing back. It's like a monster. But you reap much more than you sow. Have you ever stopped and thought, maybe God has designed things this way so that you and I will look at that and go, that's like God. Because I didn't plant that much. Maybe God's trying to just show me in some little way how generous he is. That's definitely one of the things he's doing. But he also, as we look at pictures like that, we begin to gain an understanding that God is revealing the potential ripple effects of our bad decisions as well. You may reap benefits, but you also may reap consequences. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You most often reap in a different season than you sow. There's this waiting period, if you will, in planting and harvesting. And the same applies in our lives spiritually because much of what right now we may be sowing in our lives, in our children's lives, in our friends' lives, sowing for the sake of eternity, we may not see the, all the effects of that, all the fruit of that in this life. We may not see it. But also understand conversely that we may not see or experience the consequences of what we're sowing for the flesh 
immediately either. But we will, at some point, reap those consequences. Again, I want to repeat this. I I believe that God has designed things in such a way that we can look at certain things in this world and life and nature and we can say, that's how God is. That's the way that it is. Life sort of echoes back um, how the Lord has made himself evident through all kinds of things. And this principle, again, is no exemption, sowing and reaping. It is unavoidable. You and I can't fight against it. And it works both ways, both for the good and for the bad. And see, understanding that, somehow there are some of us at times that get deceived or duped into believing that because we are now a child of God or we're now followers of Jesus Christ, that we're going to somehow magically be dismissed from the consequences. Let me put it to you another way. I think at times we mistake the forgiveness of God for an exemption from our own consequences. And I want to say to you this morning, warn you, implore you, exhort you, pick a word. Please lock into this. Do not mistake forgiveness from the penalty of sin for exemption from the consequences of sin. Don't confuse the two. Do not mistake the forgiveness that you and I have from the penalty of sin because of what Christ did through his death and his resurrection, that he is standing before the Father right now and saying, no, no, this one is righteous, this one is righteous. They are hidden in me. Don't mistake the forgiveness that we have in Christ for this exemption now from the consequences that we face from the sin that we still decide to walk through. Two different things. Forgiveness is not a free pass or like a get out of jail free card from the consequences of our bad decisions. It doesn't work that way. Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley wrote a whole book about this called The Principle of the Path. And I've mentioned it in here before. I can guarantee you I will mention it again. It is a solid gold book. It's on top five list for me and I'd highly encourage you to read it. Whether you're 18 or 80, But in the principle of the path, I want you to see, hear, read something with me that Andy Stanley says. And I'll even go so far as to tell you it's on page 57. Listen to this. Our problem stems from the fact that we are not on a truth quest. Andy is talking about this issue of sowing and reaping and how we wind up in this place of going, how did I get here? Why am I facing this? Our problem stems from the fact we are not on a truth quest. That is, we don't wake up every morning with a burning desire to know what's true, what's right, what's honorable. We are on a happiness quest. And our quest for happiness often trumps our appreciation for and our pursuit of what's true. Andy says this as he is examining Proverbs 27, 17. And so I want to look at that with you for just a couple minutes. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 27... Verse 17, look with me at what King Solomon says to his sons. He says, the prudent sees danger and hides. The prudent person sees danger ahead and takes refuge. But the simple person sees that danger and just keeps going and suffers for it. 
Solomon said there's two kinds of people. There's the prudent. We would call them the wise. And then there's the simple, what Solomon might call the naive. What I think is more accurately put is it's the person who chooses to remain ignorant. You have the wise and you have the naive or the ignorant. Now listen to what Andy goes on saying. The primary difference between the prudent and the simple is not what they see, but how they respond to what they see. The prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple see danger and keep going. And let me point this out to you. When, when he says danger, when Solomon says danger, we're not talking about the danger of I see a burning building and I know there are people inside and so I run in to bravely rescue them. That's not it. What he's talking about is the picture of I'm driving down the road and there's this big sign with arrows pointing to it that say danger, bridge out. And I just go, oh, that's nice. And I just keep right on driving. That's the danger being described here. The prudent see it and they change course. They take refuge. The simple see it and they just keep going. The prudent see danger and change their course. They act on what they see. The simple simply do not. The prudent act as if then is now, as if the future is the present. The simple respond as though tomorrow will always be tomorrow. I thought about bringing in here with me this morning a pack of cigarettes. Um, But just to be honest with you, I just didn't want to spend the money on them. So, and also knowing that you wouldn't really be able to see them very well, I got a picture for you this morning of what I want you to see. Somewhere around 1965, 1966, um, the Supreme Court decided that the Surgeon General, and I don't know exactly how all that worked, wasn't quite in the world yet, but they decided we need to start telling people about the danger of potentially smoking. And so they put a warning out there and it was something to the effect of, hey, smoking could be hazardous to your health. Well, over the last 50 years, that warning has been modified multiple times to like, hey, smoking might cause cancer. Um, Smoking is dangerous to now. I want you to see this with me. Smoking causes cancer. There's no might, maybe. We're still doing studies. There's none of that, okay? So now I want to share a fact with you this morning. There's a person who's read this warning because no one who's smoked a cigarette hasn't seen or read this warning. They've read this warning. They're going to keep smoking. They're going to get lung cancer and they're going to die. That's going to happen. Fact. Does that make it any less painful that that, that's facts and that the warning is there? Does it make it any less painful for the person to walk through it? No. Will it make it any less painful for their loved ones to walk through it with them? Not a bit. Does God still love and care for that person? Absolutely. Does the forgiveness that you and I have in Jesus Christ, is that going to have any bearing whatsoever on the outcome of that cancer? No, it will not. Does everyone who smokes get lung cancer and die? No, they don't actually. 
So does that mean that God is punishing this person for smoking? I don't think so. Here's the truth. That person chose to walk down a path. Now see, our 2016 mind wants to say, but now wait a minute. The person to the right and the person to the left, they didn't get it. That's not what? That's not fair. It is fair because you've been warned and chosen to walk down a path. The intention of this person, was it to get lung cancer and die a painful death? No, but they chose to walk down this path. And, and friends, understand me this morning. I'm not I'm tr- trying to beat up on anybody. I'm not trying to be merciless. Uh, we talked about that mercy issue. I know that I have. That's not where we are this morning. What I'm here this morning to tell you is, is that this biblical principle applies all across our life. And I think in so many ways, God is trying to show you this is the way that it works. Because something happens and we see this isolated decision, at least that's what we think it is. And then we come over here and we wonder, how did I get here? None of the decisions in our life are isolated. They are all connected, leading us to who we are becoming. What Solomon would say about the person I just described here in this little smoking illustration is they saw the danger ahead and they just kept going. The apostle Paul would say he's reaping what he sowed. Students, I have some news for you about this this morning. This is when they all look up and they go, oh my gosh, he's talking to us. I've got good news and I've got bad news. So first, the good news. The frontal lobe of your brain, until you're about 25 years old, is still forming. It's still what we might call mushy. And so here's the great thing. You are not what we'll call set in your ways. You can still change the way that you view things, see things, believe things. That's why it's critical that before you get too old, you make the determination that my life belongs to Jesus Christ, period. But now let me give you the bad news about this whole frontal lobe thing. The bad news is is that right now you have a much greater difficulty seeing things long term. Like if you're 14, 15, 16, pretty much how you see things right now is about right here. No offense, we've all been there. But the thing about it is you have a very, very difficult time seeing down the road. That's why you may have a 16, 17 year old, 18 year old guy who will do something ridiculously stupid, make a bad decision, maybe even commit a crime. And then over here you have the 27, 28 year old that looks at that and goes, what in the world was he doing? What was he thinking? That's the point. He wasn't thinking because He doesn't yet realize that there are consequences that no matter how I slice it, I will reap what I sow. And see, I think in this room this morning, if we polled everybody, we'd probably all say, oh, I believe that you reap what you sow. I believe that. I think we do believe it. That being said, the evidence of how we live sometimes points to the contrary. Or again, maybe it's that every once in a while we think that we just got an exemption card. Some examples. There are a lot of people who want out of debt. There are a lot of people who want financial freedom in their life. We have the opportunity to help 
people at times here at the brook. And please understand me, we help a lot of people who plain flat need help. Life has thrown them a curveball that not one of us know how to hit and they just need help and we bear that burden with them and that's part of being the church. But every once in a while somebody comes in and they need help and we try to help people responsibly. And they don't want the budget counseling that we'd offered them for free. They won't cut up the credit card that got them in this problem in the first place. In fact, they won't not only cut it up, they keep using it. And they maybe need us to pay their electric bill or their rent while they're still paying their smartphone bill. They are reaping what they've sown. We want our kids, parents, we want them to be godly. We want them to pursue Jesus Christ. I would just ask you, is that what they're seeing you sow into your own life? You can take that whole do what I say and not what I do thing and flush it down the toilet. That might work for like chores around the house, but not for walking with the Lord. They need to see the evidence and they need to see you and experience you sowing that into their lives. Right now, somewhere, maybe in this city, maybe even here this morning, I don't know. But right now there's a young couple who they're not married, but they've decided to move in together. Because it's more convenient, we can save some money, that kind of thing. Well, at some point, very, very likely, and very, very probably, it will be the young lady who begins wondering, why won't this guy marry me? It's because you're giving him what he wants. And and right now, you are reaping what you are sowing. Right now, there's a husband somewhere that spends more time in fantasy than in reality with a headset on his head playing video games more times there than actually in the floor with his kids, spends more time looking at porn than actually loving his wife and then wonders, why is my marriage and my family not fulfilling? Why does my wife sometimes talk to me like I'm a child? Well, there's a woman harboring bitterness against another woman in the church. And she wonders why she can't find real fellowship or connection with other people in that same church. Folks, all the time, We are reaping what we sow. And again, we're in this deceived idea that this little incident or this little decision I'm making in my life, it's just removed from everything else. It won't affect or impact everything else. Believe me, it will impact and affect everything else. You reap what you sow. I want you to think about sowing in terms of digging. I like shovels. Shovels make me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. And very, very seldom do I have a shovel in my hand. But you're witnessing this morning, the reason I have this shovel is because sewing is a lot like digging. And in case you didn't know it, we are all digging. You right now in your life, in some way, in some fashion, you are digging. 
The question for you, for me, is in what field? In what field am I digging? In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this series of of parables. And there's one of them I want you to look at with me. Matthew 13, 44. This parable is literally one verse long. But Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. But then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. I love how a lot of times Jesus, he paints the picture, but he doesn't really finish painting it because he wants you and I to have to think. He's trying to engage us. Think through this with me, if you will. Here's this man, and he's going through a field, and I don't know if he stumbled upon treasure or if he just had this suspicion, maybe there's some there, but he found some treasure. And so he covers it back up. I don't want to lose this. Covers it back up, and he goes and sells everything that he has, and he buys that field. And at that point, Jesus just goes on to the next parable. But hang with me on this. What do you think the guy did when he bought the field? He got his shovel and he dug up some treasure. That's why he bought it. And you see, we are all digging. We are all investing in. We are all pouring our lives into something. The question is, what? In what field are you digging Are you digging in a field right now where there is treasure that you've sold everything else because you desire to unearth it because you know it will be the best? Or are you digging, are you spinning, are you toiling over things that are going to leave you empty and slip right through your hands? Remember, what we sow is a choice. And here in Galatians, When Paul is talking about sowing, Paul's not talking about nature and corn. Paul's not even talking about money. What Paul is talking about is holiness. Holiness. Holiness is a harvest. It's a harvest. We reap the harvest that we sow. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider this morning, am I sowing holiness into my life. John MacArthur says, the Christian has only two fields in which he can sow, that of his own flesh and that of the spirit. And all MacArthur's doing when he says that is he's just telling us that's what Paul's saying here. Holiness is a harvest and the seeds that determine that harvest are our thoughts and our deeds, our thoughts and our actions. John Stott, the famous English theologian, I want you to listen to what he said in reference to this. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, to entertain an impure fantasy, every time that we allow our heart and mind to wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, 
whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Holiness is a harvest that you and I not only have the opportunity and the availability, but the calling in our lives to be sowing That's the harvest that Christ came so that we could reap. Come back into Galatians with me here. Let's start again in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap that harvest, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As Paul is closing this part of his letter out, he is saying to us, one of the reasons that you desperately need to sow holiness into your life is that holiness is the thing that fosters true biblical community. What Paul is saying is, these are the things that equip you to be the people I've just told you in the verses before this, you're called to be. What, what Paul is saying is that when we follow these things in our individual life, when we are sowing holiness into our life, we are then through that equipped to have the gospel relationships that we are called to have. See, we cannot, cannot even begin to confront one another in our sin, cannot even begin to bear one another's burdens through the gospel. We can't do that if we ourselves are not walking in holiness. And so Paul says so well, so intentionally and purposefully, so grace and mercy into your relationships with one another, so purity and holiness into your own walk with the Lord, sow the seeds of the kingdom of God, and that is what you will reap. And he says that in light of walking in the gospel and planting these seeds in our own lives and in the lives of others, we will reap what we sow if we don't grow weary and give up. So allow me to close with this. Paul did not say, don't grow weary. Anybody in here at all lately been a little weary? Anyone? Maybe give an amen on that one. Every once in a while we grow a little weary in life. But see, the Apostle Paul knows that Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And in the verses right before this, Paul said, we have to bear one another's burdens. Friends, we are going to grow weary, but Paul says, don't you dare grow weary and give up. See, I want to say to you this morning, parents, Let me acknowledge to you, it is way more exhausting to intentionally disciple your child, your children, than just to go, well, let's just see what happens. It is exhausting. But you know what? It is way more rewarding 
to see the fruit of the knowledge and the wisdom of God and, and the spirit of God sown into their life, do not give up. Maybe some of you are here today and you are fighting for your marriage. First of all, I want to encourage you, if you're fighting one another, drop the gloves. Come together and determine, I will do whatever I have to do to save the covenant that I made between this person and God. But understand, you will reap from that what you are sowing into it. Don't give up. And if you want to get really bold about it, ask God to knock down every wall of pride in your life. But don't ask him to do that if you don't want him to do it. But don't give up. I know you may be weary right now, but don't give up. If you're here this morning and you've been praying for that person in your life, at work, uh, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, and you just haven't seen any evidence of anything, don't you dare stop sharing the love of God. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't stop praying. Do not give up. God is not finished. He's not done. Maybe you're here this morning and that sin that has tempted you before in your life, maybe it's back at the door. The scripture says that there's this sin that so easily entangles us. And you know what? You and I, there are sins in our life that yours might be different than mine. And maybe that one is back at your door and it's trying to deceive you and seduce you and pull you back in. I want to beg you this morning, cling to the Father. Stand firm in the word of God. Cry out to Jesus. Walk in the spirit. Do not give up. Don't give up. I want to ask you to bow your head. And I want us to close by reading something that Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen The things that are seen are transient and temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, this morning we ask you to give us the courage and the vision and the discipline and the determination to live our lives for the unseen for the eternal. God, give us a burning desire that our life would be lived out, that it would be spent for the sake of things that matter. 
Lord Jesus, we ask you this morning and we boldly ask you to give us your eyes and your heart that we might see things the way that you see them, that we might see others the way that you see them. Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, we just say to you that anyone here among us, Lord, who is weary and heavy burdened, first of all, we pray that you would pour out your rest on them, that they would humbly come. But Lord, that every one of us would know and understand and embrace that we are not called to bear the burden alone. Lord, we ask for that courage in our lives that comes with the confidence of knowing that you are walking with us, that we are walking with one another. Holy Spirit, we pray that in this moment you would have the freedom to speak to our hearts. next moments as we respond to the Lord, I just encourage you to respond to him with an honest and obedient heart. If you need to come to the steps or the foot of the cross and pray, please come. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you would like somebody to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in him. Some of our pastors, elders, leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we exalt you. We just proclaim that you are King of kings. You are Lord of all. May your name be lifted up through our worship. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.